Well, welcome Hills family, all of you that normally attend either North Richland Hills, South Lake, or West Fort Worth campuses. Welcome to all of you that are normally a part of our online family. And a special welcome to all of you that aren't normally part of our online family, but because of the current season we're in, you are. We are so thrilled that you've made the decision to be with us as well. Obviously, churches across our nation and the world are having to adapt to these rather unprecedented circumstances so that we can stay on mission and we can continue to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. We're having to be phenomenally creative. Uh, We're doing it primarily through our live streaming and content that we're delivering uh, online. But churches are choosing other options as well. For example, I heard about Beulah Baptist Church. They're trying drive-in church where you pull up in the parking lot and uh, you just sit in your car like you did at the old-time drive-in movies. Uh, However, after their first week, they did have to send out an email to their members with the following request. Here was number one. We ask women not to leave Afghans overnight to reserve a parking space. Number two, we ask that members kindly not arrive early to park on the back row. (laughs) Three, we ask you not to recline in your seat during the sermon. Uh, Next, we kindly ask you not to blow the core horn as an amen. And then number five, we ask that you not start the engine and leave during the invitation. Now, if I was pastor of that church, I would have added number six. Please know that we don't consider taking your car through the car wash as an acceptable form of baptism. But the reality is we are having to adapt. I get a lot of people asking me, well, what's it like to preach to an empty room? I'll tell you the truth. It's hard. It's really hard. Hard. In fact, I've thought about, remember how some of the old comedy shows used to have laugh tracks? Maybe I should install an amen track so that while you're listening, you could hear amens in the background and you would know when you're supposed to be excited. The fact of the matter, though, is we are doing these things to work together as a community to try to contain the spread of this coronavirus. And that's why it frustrates us when we hear of people not working together. I was reading in the paper of the hundreds of phone calls our city officials have been getting of people who are continuing to meet in large gatherings and just ignore the protocols that we're being asked to accept. And you know what? That's why our officials keep ramping up the restrictions and making them tougher and more stringent. Here's the thing. Isn't it something about human nature that we won't do what we ought to do unless there's a rule or a consequence or a punishment. There's something about our nature, the Bible calls it our flesh, that is just resistant to what it ought to do without a law to constrain or restrain it. And because this is true, rules-based religion will always have some appeal. So if you're just joining us, we've been now our fifth week of a six-week series called Rescued. We're looking at the book of Galatians, and we're trying to wrestle with what's the best way to approach God, the way of rules or the way of faith. Paul had planted these churches in Galatia, what we would now call Central Turkey. Some people came after and said, Paul didn't give you enough, particularly you need to obey the rules in the law of Moses. And so Paul is addressing that, and we're going to read now in chapter 5, verses 16 through 26, as it particularly relates to the issue 
of how we pursue holiness. So let's start in verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So you notice he uses this language of conflict. And that's because we all can affirm that when we got baptized, that part of us that wants to sin didn't get drowned, did it? You see, there is something in us called our sinful nature, our flesh, that we are going to have until we get our resurrected bodies. It's that part of us that wants to maintain self-sovereignty that hasn't been redeemed yet. But we also have within us the Spirit of God calling us to full surrender to Christ. So we have this conflict going on. Sometimes it's just a minor skirmish and sometimes it is an all-out battle. See, here's what I want you to understand. We've been using words in this series like justification and adoption. And those things happen in a moment, okay? When you confess Christ, when you acknowledge his identity as son of God and you claim him as savior, and this is usually in the New Testament, publicly declared by getting baptized, you are immediately justified. You are declared right with God. You are immediately adopted. You are brought into the family and labeled an heir of God. Sanctification, which is a big word that just means becoming like who you are, does not happen in a moment. It is more of a process. We're all declared righteous, but now we're on this journey of learning how to live righteously, how to live like we've been declared to be. In fact, did you notice the words that Paul used about the Spirit were movement words, that we walk by the Spirit, that we're led by the Spirit, that we keep in step with the Spirit, which implies we're on a journey, or to put it another way, that Christ-likeness is a pursuit. We're on this journey. This is our aim, to become like who we are. We are holy in position, but we're trying to become holy in practice. Now, if unbelievers understood this, they would be slower to call all Christians that sin hypocrites, okay? When you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that you're never going to struggle or stumble or sin again. No, to be a Christian is not to be someone that has no longer any bad desires. It's to be someone now who is going to be at war 
with those desires. Look at how Peter puts it. Dear friends, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So we're in this battle, this conflict, and one big theme of the book of Galatians is what's the best way to win the war? Is it the way of rules or is it the way of faith? Now, the people that came after Paul said, we need to use the rules, particularly the law of Moses. You've got to understand, these people that Paul brought to Christ in Galatia were from very pagan backgrounds. They worshiped idols and vile and vulgar practices were just a part of their culture. And so these Judaizers say, okay, I know they've accepted Christ. I know they've become Christians, but they are going to drift back into their old sinful habits without some help. And the help is the law. We need to give them rules to get them to do what they ought to do. But here is the problem with a rules-based approach to sanctification. And it's simply this. Modification on the outside doesn't change the desire on the inside. I remember as a boy, I studied something in history about an era in our country's history called prohibition. Because of the ravages of alcohol abuse, there was a time in our country where the government said it is illegal to purchase liquor. But the problem is it did nothing about the desire of people to get liquor. And the law didn't make the problem better. It made it worse. It just created new ways for us to do things that are illegal. You cannot change an inner desire with an outward rule. What happens when you try to transform from the outside is you just put people in bondage. You create religious tyranny. So now Paul is burdened. He wants his people to pursue Christ-likeness. He said, we saw last time, I am burdened for you until Christ is formed in you. But the question is, what's the best way for that to happen? See, he's not just burdened that Christ be formed. He's burdened that we pursue Christ-likeness the right way, not the wrong way. Go back to chapter 3. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Look at that same verse in another translation. You began your life in Christ by the Spirit. In other words, you were justified, you were regenerated, you were adopted through the work of the Spirit. Now, we're talking sanctification. Are you trying to make it complete by your own power? That is foolish. Paul says we are rescued, not for a life of rule-based religion. We are rescued for a life in the Spirit. Now, I'm going to be real honest with you. For a long time, I did not know this. I did not grow up in a tradition that had a high view of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit to me was kind of like my pituitary gland. I mean, I knew he was in there, but I wasn't sure why, you know? Or maybe like an appendix. Uh, And if that Holy Spirit ever acted up, take him out. Because I don't really need the Holy Spirit. He just creates problems. 
And there are two realities that changed my openness to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The first, honestly, was just a sincere study of Scripture. See, I, I realized some things I were taught were views where we were determined to neuter the Holy Spirit, to put the Holy Spirit on tranquilizers. We were determined to get there, and we twisted Scripture to do it. I couldn't read my Bible honestly and say the Holy Spirit is retired and not active in the world anymore. But here's the second thing. There were some parts of my life that I wasn't growing in Christ-likeness. And I was gritting my teeth and I was trying and it wasn't working. And what helped me more than anything else become open to the ministry of the Spirit was the recognition of my inability to become the person God is calling me to be in my own strength. I can't get there. Only one person has ever lived righteously. And I must ask him to live in me. That's what Paul said all the way back in chapter 2. My old self has been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So you've been declared righteous by God, but now you're on the journey of learning to live righteously. How do we do that? I'm going to give you a sentence that has three parts. And the first, remember he said, by trusting in the Son of God? Here's the first thing we got to know. That if I'm going to become the person I'm called to be, I must believe in the work of Christ. That the key to sanctification is the same as the key to justification. It is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You know, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You never get to a point where you don't need to preach the gospel to yourself. When Jesus said, it is finished. He wasn't just talking about everything necessary to forgive you of your sins. He was talking about everything necessary to form you into the person God is calling you to be. It happened at the cross, and we must believe in the work of Christ. Look at how Paul puts it in the book of Romans. Which, by the way, I'm so proud of our students at all our campuses. They're reading through the book of Romans, and I think in this week they're in chapter 8. It says, the law was without power because the law was made weak by our sinful selves. See what he's saying? The law is from the outside and your flesh doesn't respond. You cannot change the inside by a rule on the outside. Keep reading. But God did what the law could not do. What did he do? He sent his son to earth with the same human life that others use for sin. And by sending his son to be an offering for sin, God used a human life to destroy sin. Now, this is so important. Watch. He did this so that we could be the kind of people the law correctly wants us to be. Stop just a second. You see what he's saying? The law was calling us to be righteous people, but the law couldn't give us power to get there. What gives us the freedom and the power to become the person God is calling us to be? It is believing in the work of Jesus. And so now we don't live following our sinful selves, but we live following the Spirit. Now here's the thing. 
If we could overcome sin simply by spiritual disciplines, and spiritual disciplines are important, and I practiced them, but if that's all we needed to overcome sin, there was no reason for Christ to die. Jesus didn't die and rise again just to give us some new practices. He did it to make us new creations. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection, righteousness hasn't just been imputed to me. It's not just that I'm declared righteous. Righteousness has been imparted to me. I now have a new capacity for righteousness. And it's not from the outside. It's from the inside. And the prophet said this was going to happen. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36. God says, I'll give you a new heart. See, from the inside. I'll put a new spirit in you. God's going to do a work on the inside. I'll remove from you your heart of stone, that fleshly part of you, and I'll give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you, and I will move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. And so, everything necessary to release and propel me on this journey of living more righteously has already been accomplished. All you need to become like Christ is in your spiritual DNA right now, waiting to be released. You need to get this. It is finished. Jesus has accomplished what is necessary for you to grow in righteousness. I think a lot of Christians think, well, you know, I, before I knew Christ, I was like this dirty, crummy, old clunker of a car. But I accepted Christ and went through the car wash, and now I'm a clean clunker of a car. No, you're not a clean clunker. You're a brand new car. You are a brand new person. You're a new creation. And we have to believe this, that the first thing in our battle with sin is to believe it is possible to be free from its power because of the work of Christ. He died, he was raised, he ascended, and he poured his spirit into us from the inside, okay? And so, it's not like he set righteousness aside. He put righteousness inside. And there's no other strategy for a victory in this battle. It's gotta come from the inside out. It cannot come from the outside in. So what do we do? We believe in the work of Christ, and then we are led by the Spirit of Christ. And by the way, notice led is a passive verb. And here's what I mean. The idea is not that the Holy Spirit is the pace car and he's out there in front of us and we're just straining and striving to try to keep up with the Holy Spirit. No, the idea is the Holy Spirit is like a locomotive in front of a train and it's his energy and his power as we're connected to him that is taking us where we want to go. Now, let me tell you, there's no such thing as a Christian without the Holy Spirit. Paul said, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't even belong to Christ. But I think sometimes we see people with different gifts of the Spirit, and we get confused. And we think, well, they must really have the Spirit, or they must really have more of the Spirit. We confuse endowment with empowerment. We confuse gifts with fruit. Not all Christians have the same endowment. I may have a gift that you don't have. You may have a gift that someone else doesn't have. But we all have the same empowerment. 
We all have the same capacity as we are led by the Spirit to move in the direction of Christ-likeness. So here's Paul's question. Why would you depend only on the resources you had before you knew Christ, after you come to Christ, to be more like Christ? You see what he's saying? You had grit and you had willpower before you knew Christ. Now, you've come to Christ. Why would you go back to all that you only had before Christ? Instead, why don't you lean into and be led by the Spirit of Christ as you pursue Christ? So Paul insists that when we really embrace the gospel and we trust in Christ's work, we're going to become increasingly under the influence of the Holy Spirit and the virtues of the character of Christ are going to start to appear in our life. That's his strategy. And that makes rule keepers nervous. Oh, it's got to be harder than that. You, you got to tell people more than just believe the gospel and be led by the Spirit. You got to tell people to do something, right? Okay, so if that's where you are, I'm going to give you something to do. We're going to go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So what can you do to grow in Christ-likeness? You can think about what you think about. You can decide to think about the things that put you more and more under the control of the Holy Spirit. So uh, I remember years ago, I read an article about how to find a cuckoo bird nest. Now, here's what I learned. The mama cuckoo bird doesn't build a nest. It's still nests. She finds a nest maybe of some thrushes, a few little eggs in there. She goes down and lays her egg while mama thrush is gone. When mama thrush comes back, apparently she's not good at math. Three little eggs, one big giant egg. She hatches all of them. The baby cuckoo grows up. He's three times the size of the little thrushes. So when mama thrush comes back with a big worm, who gets it? And the little cuckoo keeps growing. The little thrushes die. The way to find a cuckoo nest, find the little baby thrushes at the bottom of the tree. And here's the point of all that. Who you feed will lead. If you feed the flesh, the flesh will control the conflict. If you feed the spirit, the spirit will control. Who you feed will lead. Think about what you think about. Think about the season we're in right now. And, and the constant bombardment of the media. And, and then we have all this time to decide, am I going to spend all my time just watching TV and binging on this or that? What are we thinking about? And by the way, when I say uh, thinking about things of the world, I'm not necessarily talking even about what's vulgar or vile. I'm just saying, are we thinking most of the day about things that don't pursue Christ, that don't take us to virtue and nobility, or are we thinking about the gospel? Are we thinking about the work of Jesus? Are we thinking about the mission of God? Who you feed will lead. You don't grow fruit by focusing on fruit. I'm just going to focus on patience, and I'm just going to be patient, and I'm going to give myself a couple of patient rules. No, you grow fruit by focusing on Christ. And letting your roots go down deep in the gospel. And when you fill your mind with the work of Christ, you release the power of the Spirit of Christ. And here's what happens. You start to become 
who you are in Christ. Now, there are some things that you need to know about Satan's capacity to counterfeit the work of the Holy Spirit. Satan is a great faker, and he can imitate much of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Satan can do miracles. Satan can do prophecy. We've got examples of this in Scripture. Satan's even a tremendous quoter of Scripture. But there's one thing Satan will never do. Imitate the character of Christ. Satan will never lead anyone to think more, love more, and act more like Jesus. This is the best way, I think, to understand the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the visible evidence that Christ is getting formed in your life. Because think about it, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. What are these things? These things are the virtue of Jesus. These things are descriptions of the character of Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit are not separate virtues. Well, I'm pretty good at joy, but I stink at patience. So, No, no, no. If you are following the Spirit, the virtue of Christ is being formed to you, and all of these fruit begin to show up in your life. It's the evidence that you are developing into who you have already been declared to be. And that's why people full of the Spirit don't need to tell me. I get nervous when people say, oh, I'm just so full of the Spirit. You don't need to tell me that. I just have to watch your life. And if I see Jesus and His character coming through you, I know that you didn't get there in your own strength, but you're being led by the Spirit of God. And so that's the story. Paul says, which path are you going to pick? The path of rules or the path of faith? Are you going to try to, from the outside in, change your character? Or are you going to believe in the work of Christ and let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do? Let me show you this picture. It represents the two ways. Those are both pretty trees. The Christmas tree is decorated elegantly. The fruit tree is just... Uh, overwhelmed with gorgeous fruit. But come back in about a month, this tree won't be as pretty because there's no life in this tree. The source of life has been cut off. It's pretty from the outside, but over time, its deadness is going to be revealed. This tree will just continue to produce and to produce and to produce because the life is from the inside and the fruit is coming from the inside out. Galatians is asking two questions. Is Christ's work enough to save us? And is Christ's spirit enough to change us? And when you see somebody full of the fruit of the spirit, you know the answer. Yes. Yes. And so, if like me, you may have grown up in a tradition that was suspicious or even afraid of the Holy Spirit, I want to challenge you. Nothing about the ministry of the Holy Spirit needs to be feared. Nothing about the ministry of the Holy Spirit needs to be restrained. The Holy Spirit is not going to make us weird. He is going to make us more like Jesus. So don't choose a strategy that is going to lead to bondage. Choose the way of faith. 
Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, not bondage. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. You see what he's saying? What are we thinking about? What are we feeding our thoughts with? As we contemplate the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. It's a process. We're growing. And when's it going to be complete? Well, it comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And let me tell you something about the Lord. He keeps his promises. I said that Christ-likeness is a pursuit, but it's also a promise. God does not save partially. He finishes what he starts. And God has promised, I declared you righteous, and I am going to complete the process of making you righteous. And we are going to become like our Lord Jesus. Uh, one of my favorite movies when I was a kid was a movie called Ben-Hur. It starred Charlton Heston. And it had this climactic scene at the end of a chariot race. Now, the director was the acclaimed Cecil B. DeMille. And he said to his star actor, um, I don't want to use a stunt double. It'll be more powerful if I can film you in the chariot. And so he sent Charlton Heston to take chariot driving lessons. By the way, where do you go to do that? <laughs> but he did. He went for weeks to learn how to drive a horse-drawn chariot. And after all the training, he said to Cecil B. DeMille, I think I can drive the chariot. I don't think I can win the race. And DeMille said, Heston, you just stay in the chariot. I'll make sure you win. And that's my word to you today. You stay in the lane of grace. You stay in the way of faith. You stay anchored in the gospel of Jesus. And you are going to become who God has already declared you to be. Start believing it. Let me pray for us. And so God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your plan. We thank you for Jesus, who by dying and being raised again and sending us his spirit has not only forgiven us, he is forming us. He is changing us. We are becoming who we are destined to completely be. We thank you for this, God. But it's hard the flesh is real. The battle is strong. It's hard to keep believing. Keep us from drifting, God. Keep us anchored in the gospel. And help us this next week especially to think about the things that release the power of the Spirit in us. Oh, God, right now the world needs the witness of a people that are changed from the inside out who are not constantly having their character shaped by the outside because the outside right now, God, is hard. It's really hard. But we don't want to be a people who are affected by circumstances. We want to be a people who are indwelled by the Spirit and whose witness of joy and peace and gentleness, even in this season, points to you, God, 
to the reality of the supernatural, to the reality of the gospel. That's who we want to be, God. So help us this week to think about the things that release the Spirit of God to become who we are called to be. We pray this prayer believing that you will keep this promise. In Jesus' name, amen.